Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about actions to avoid. This is from the Mind Training Lojong Teachings. Um, This is called Actions to Avoid Part 2. And so if you've not listened to the episode before this one, Part 1, you may want to go listen to that. But these aren't in any particular order, so actually it doesn't matter what order you listen to them in. So we're going to talk about things we want to avoid in our mind training practice. And I'm going to be reading quotes from The Power of Mind, as I've been doing. And there are a total of 16 of these. And in the last episode, I did the first five. So we're going to start with number six of the 16 actions to avoid from the mind training teachings. And these are uh, they're proverbs. So they are just like little pithy statements that we want to plant in our minds so that when we need to think of this statement, we, we can bring it to mind and get the benefits from it, okay? So, this one is give up all hope for a result. So we wanna make sure that we're doing this for the right reasons. This isn't about like, don't be goal-oriented. We are goal-oriented. We want to arouse our compassion and wisdom and change our lives and the lives of the people around us for the better. Like that's goal-oriented, but We want to practice with the intention to spread happiness and lessen suffering. And if we discover we're practicing for purely selfish reasons, we should really, we should really reflect on that. We should really reflect on that. And I want to, and I want to read to you a passage from the book, The Power of Mind by Kendall Lodrote, just to help us, uh, to help us get on track with this. And... Here it is, and I quote, This is not to say we shouldn't appreciate the sense of well-being that mind training brings. As we practice, we suffer over things less. We're able to overcome challenges without getting upset. We enjoy greater peace and happiness, and we don't accumulate future causes of suffering. But these results come about because we feel genuine love and compassion for others. We are successful in practice when we don't lose sight of this perspective. End quote. So that that's it. It's having having the right perspective is what make the, makes the results happen. So if we're doing this for the wrong reason, if we're doing this to um, to help us accumulate wealth or to make people think we're cool or things like that, it's not gonna it's not gonna work in the same way. So that was give up all hope for results. The next one is avoid poisoned food. So practicing incorrectly is like eating poison food. You know, food is supposed to nourish you and fill a need and help you. And if it's poison food, it doesn't, right? If we're practicing from a totally selfish motivation, then it's just not going to, it's just not going to work for us if we're practicing from a selfish, selfish motivation. And that was, so this is really tied to the last one. And in the book, he says, Kentro Lodrote says, and I quote, 
The analogy to poison food has, it, has its limits, of course. If we eat rotten food, we will get sick right away. But if our practice is flawed, we are unlikely to expect immediate harm. The mind training will just not produce results and may continue to perpetuate worldly existence. This doesn't mean that if our motivation and wisdom are lacking, we shouldn't train. It is better to do imperfect not mind training than not to do it. After all, practice makes perfect. It is only by practicing that the two aspects of bodhicitta will develop. If we had perfect bodhicitta always present in our mind, we wouldn't need to practice. The reminder to give up poison food helps us make the most of our efforts. If our motivation is pure and we apply the view of emptiness, then just like eating healthy food, nothing will contaminate the practice or its power. So that was avoid poisoned food. It just compares practicing incorrectly to eating poisoned food. What's practicing incorrectly? Again, it's just the same as give up all hope for result. We're, if we're practicing with the wrong motivation, then we're practicing incorrectly. We're supposed to be motivated by the unselfish wish to benefit others and not be motivated by the mind that the I, me, my, I, me, mine mindset that's always trying to take. We want to not be motivated by that. And so this can be really hard, actually. And the next one is don't be dependable. That's confusing at first, right? Well, no, I want to be dependable, right? But this is about um, do unexpected things. So this is about our attachment to our grudges and our anger and our resentment. See, being in this context, being dependable means continuing to carry around our emotional baggage and disturbances in the usual way that we always have. That's being dependable. And we're trying to be different. We're trying to go, you know, against the stream. We're trying to be different and not do that thing that is obviously what we do. Not do that thing that's obviously what we do. So that's what don't be dependable means. Don't get confused by that. And the next one is don't retaliate against nasty words. Don't retaliate against nasty words. We are easily affected by criticism and unkind words. And lashing out and returning harm with harm does not help us. It only really escalates things. Although in the moment, it can feel really, 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 really satisfying. I'm going to read to you a short passage from the book, The Power of Mind. And I quote, If someone says something harsh to you, reflect on how much negativity exists in the world and respond with kindness. Find what's good and express it. Perhaps you could praise the person. When people say mean things, it gives an opportunity to express compassion for them. At the very least, if you're unable to say something nice, stay neutral and say nothing at all. However, on occasion, it may be appropriate to respond to some, someone if they say something that's unethical or demeaning to others, such as using a racist slur. Before you speak, though, always examine your mind first to be sure you're responding with a kind heart. And choose your words with care. If you're upset by what was said and you can't speak kindly in that moment, wait until a time when you can. Have you ever had the experience, and end quote, I'm sorry, end quote. Have you ever had the experience uh, when you're in a relationship and your partner says something negative and you just lash out and unload on them? Maybe you've got like 
some stuff you've been storing up to bring upon them at the right time. And that this will tie into our next slogan, actually. But, you know, if you respond, if your partner says something kind of rude or whatever, and you respond with something a little bit more extreme, well, what are you doing? You're escalating. You're escalating and you're just having a terrible fight because that doesn't help. If you return harm with harm, that is a lose-lose situation. In this other text called The 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva, uh, the writer Tokme Zangpo, he says that the most effective advice, and I quote, the most effective spiritual advice for taming the mind is the advice that exposes our hidden flaws. End quote. So he's telling us, like, we can, we can also use it. We can also use criticism to re-examine ourselves. And man, we don't like to do that. But we can. We can, and actually it'll help us. So the next one is don't wait in ambush. Don't wait in ambush. So this just, what's, what's the, this mean? Taming our mind does not mean that when someone upsets us, we are going to be friendly now and hang on to it and lash out later at a better time. That's not what taming the mind means. Taming the mind means we can put it down when someone upsets us. We can't hold on to it when we are slighted by others. We cannot do that. The only thing that makes sense is to put it down is to put it down and move on and just see what we can do to make our situation better instead of lamenting what's going on. We want to not carry so much emotional baggage when things happen. Um, and that's not to say, you know, if a, you're being horribly abused, well, that's something else. We're not talking about that. We're talking about little things that hurt us. little things that hurt us, like people being annoying. This is more about that than a murderer, right? So because our general relationships are not that. Most of the human relationships we have are not someone abusing us, I hope, right? This is about the normal things that are going on. So the next one is don't strike at a vulnerable point. Don't strike at a vulnerable point. So when we are aware of another person's sensitive points, we need to be taking special care not to strike them there, you know? We need to take special care not to strike them there. And there's a Tibetan proverb that says, the words may not be sharp like weapons, they can destroy a person's mind. Trying to hurt people on purpose is the opposite of what we're trying to do. So if you know what someone's sensitive about, using that against him, them, him or her, or them, is really not the right thing to do. So that's don't strike at a vulnerable point. So next is don't put the oxen's load on a cow. Don't put the oxen's load on a cow. So uh, I'm going to read to you what he 
what Kendra Lodrote explains about what um, is the meaning of ox, oxen and cows in the Tibetan culture, because I think it's instructive here. So he says, and I quote, in Tibet, livestock are equivalent to wealth. Oxen are considered more valuable than cows because they are bigger and stronger. Owners who have them covet them, but when nomads move camp and load their belongings onto their livestock for travel, they sometimes try to protect their oxen by putting the ox's load on the back of a cow. It's not an ethical practice because the cows are burdened with an oversized load. And so we're talking about overburdening the cow. And this is obviously, it's a metaphor. What we don't want to do is burden others with our responsibilities and blame others for our mistakes. We want to take responsibility. We go to great lengths to avoid responsibility sometimes. And what we need to do is stop making excuses and stop blaming other people when we struggle, when we make mistakes, when we have shortcomings. We need to stop blaming other people. And that's what this is about. We are the oxen and other people are the cow. So if you blame other people for your shortcomings, that's putting the oxen's load on a cow. Instead, what's better is for us to try to be better. Placing blame is a way of not dealing with it. And that's what we're encouraged to, to stop doing. Next is don't place your sole attention on the fastest. And what is that? That is, we don't want to compare ourselves to others on the path. Only, you can't really judge how well someone else is doing. You can really only judge how well you're doing. So sometimes people do this and they get competitive and that doesn't serve us. It actually increases our pride and jealousy. And like we could get really down on ourselves, if we're judging ourselves competitively, we could think, you know, oh my gosh, Master Sung San got enlightened before he was 30, and I'm here over 40, and I'm not enlightened. What's up with that, right? We could think that way. We don't want to. Obviously, we don't want to. So that placing your attention on the fastest is just obsessing about the person who's having an easier time on the path than you, and we're not in competition with other people. We're not. That's not what this is about. That's not what our motivation is here. That would be another poison food. If it was to compete with others, that'd be another bad motivation. Okay? So next is don't misapply ceremonial practice. This might require some explanation. Um, don't misapply ceremonial practice. So there are lots of methods for training our minds. A lot, and in the Tibetan tradition, there are techniques like visualizations, mantras, mudras, other many forms of ritual that are designed to help us uh, generate bodhicitta and move along the spiritual path. And when we're doing rituals, making offerings, for example, we want to make sure our intention, our intention is in behind them. So, what does that mean? I'm not offering incense just to offer incense. And I'm not offering incense just to make my living room smell nice. I'm doing it because the ritualism helps. It makes the practice more profound. It makes the practice more important. And that, like, 
uh, maybe we don't like the word, I know a lot of people don't like the word sacred, but I think it makes the practice more sacred. It's not just a little thing I'm doing. Rather, this is big. This is big and serious and important. I'm going to uh, read to you a passage from the book, a little quote. And again, this is The Power of Mind by Kendra Lodrote. On this subject, he says, and I quote, It's important to understand that this doesn't mean that doing a ceremonial practice to avert obstacles is a misapplication of practice. While on the path, sometimes it is appropriate to engage in practice to overcome illnesses or dispel obstacles. The key is to keep the primary goal in mind, to purify ourselves of flaws and realize our true nature in order to ultimately benefit others. As long as we keep sight of that goal, it's fine to use ritual practice to overcome obstacles and provide the conditions we need to accomplish the Dharma. So, end quote. The next one is, don't allow the divine to be reduced to the demonic. That's spooky, right? Uh, this is just a really fancy way of saying we should be careful not to let pride and arrogance take root and grow. People could see the benefits of these practices, see how much this is doing for them, and start to think, I'm really awesome. And then that could make a person go off track. We want to try to put down these kind of self-centered thoughts and just serve others. And if we start to th just think about how awesome we are, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. And I think uh, historically, I think, you know, if you've heard any of those stories about spiritual teachers uh, abusing students in some way, I think it's some of this. I think allowing the divine to be reduced to the d demonic, they start to believe like really um, big things about themselves. So um, the 16th action to avoid. Don't seek others' suffering as a component to happiness. Don't seek others' suffering as a component to happiness. So, I'm going to read to you this passage from the book, The Power of Mind by Kendra Lodrote, because I think it spells it out really well. And I quote, Wishing for another person's misfortune because it will benefit us runs counter to the precepts of mind training. For example, if we are named as the beneficiary in a loved one's will, we may find ourselves looking forward to that person's death. But it's important that we don't put our interests first. Instead, we should consider the suffering our loved one will undergo when they die and hope that they receive whatever they need. This kind of thinking, the seeking of another's suffering for our benefit, can easily crop up. We might see it in the stock market, where we'll gain from another person's loss. Or we might hope that a competing business will close so that business can thrive. End quote. So I'm thinking of like, I don't understand the stock market market very well, but I know there was an incident where people in the stock market were betting on companies to lose and making an incredible amount of money that way. And they were doing exactly that. They were seeking another suffering. I don't, I don't know a way to think about that and think that is okay. They were wishing for another person's suffering. And that is not what we want to do here. That is not what we want to do here.
Thank you for listening and have a good day.